your brow today takes everything you got Taking a break from brown girl worries Let's all drink up a shot Wouldn't you like to get away? Grab your phone and download the Fudge Up Podcast right away So they keep us entertained You wanna be where you can see Problemas are all the same Assimilation where butchers put all the blame You wanna be where you can see Problemas are all the same Assimilation where poachers put all the blame. Welcome to the Pocha Podcast at the intersection of brown pride and assimilation. I'm Kat. I'm Charlene. And this time around, Charlene, we are doing one more road trip before the end of summer. Yes, so you are probably hearing some background noises that are not typical, like windshield wipers, because it's raining on this road trip, which I love very much. In southern New Mexico, raining, who knew? I mean, it is monsoon season for sure, but this really isn't even a regularity on a day-to-day in monsoon, monsoon season. No, and I love the rain. I, I know we were talking about driving in the rain. I love it as long as I can still see, because sometimes it gets, you know, where there's a crazy downpour and you're like, uh, I can't really see where I'm going and that's not great. Um, but right now it's just calming and lovely. And on our way back, you asked like, mm, should we stop for a cafecito? And that... <laughs> brings us to the first part of this episodio 40 for or 41 excuse me for August is the first part we're going to talk about is señora or sometimes in my case señor life yes this is definitely a new trend that we're seeing on social media and something you and I've talked about for quite some time because uh, sometimes we start turning into our parents and, you know, when I, when I was thinking about this and I was like, well, what exactly is, because I did see it online, just like you, the Senora Life, and it's a whole hashtag business. There's even Senora, like the hot Senora, right? And um, she dresses up like she goes out. When she goes out, she goes out. She's got like the fancy athletic wear, athletic we- leisure wear and all the things. And she's got the hot senora life going on. But I did start seeing this. And to me, it it was very reminiscent of like, you know, just becoming our parents. The hot senora. Is that a, is that like a sylph? (laughs) I don't even, why, why? (laughs) She's just going to the baile every night. I love it. I've seen this and I need to check it out now. So what, what do you see as senora life for you? Um, for one thing, trying to point out geographical features on the road trip that we're currently on. That would be number one right now that's coming up for me. <laughs> Some things that I have seen is making fun, but we definitely have it, a favorite cooking spoon. Oh, yeah, I, def- I have a favorite eating utensil. I like it's a heavier fork which why does that matter? I don't know. But we have like one shitty fork in the drawer. I should probably just throw it away or donate it or something, but inevitably I get this fork and it drives me insane. I um, I have two favorite forks and I segregate them from the other forks because I don't want anyone else to use them. I'm kind of an asshole. <laughs> this is hilarious. Yes, that's definitely, that's a senora thing, I think for sure. So another thing they were looking at is like the cooking position that you do when you are cooking, like you, you cock one hand or like, yeah, you put one hand on your hip, and you almost look like you have chicken wings because one hand is on the hip. You've got the little chicken wings standing out. And so you stand in this position, and you cook with one, or you stir with one hand with your favorite cooking utensil, and then you have your hand position in the other. I, do, I don't think I do that, but you probably would need to ask someone who's watching me cook because I, if I do it, it's subconscious. Do you do this? I do this, I do this when I'm cooking, yes. I do. Oh my God, senora life. Ding! Are we counting points here? Yes. So I've got two, two points, you've got one. Okay. I like it. Keep going. So the other thing that I saw was um, collecting ceramics. <laughs> <laughs> like 
tchotchkes. Is that what you call it? Tchotchkes? Yeah, collecting like little tchotchkes. So, you know, like the little cute cats or you've got the like butter bowl or whatever. Do you have any of those? I don't think so. I, I don't like having a lot of stuff out. It makes me a little bit crazy. I think I'm traumatized by when I was a kid. My mom had a bunch of these and we had to dust them on the weekends. And I just am not about that. So I don't think I do this. No, I, well, I do like dishes. I like to collect dishes. They're not out for display. They're for serving food. So it's different. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, so one thing I have no- noticed about you is you don't collect tchotchkes per se, but you do collect candles. Oh, I love candles, yes. Would that be a thing? A collection? I think that's like the like the Gen X version, maybe. So instead of it being exactly like your parent, you're <laughs> parent-adjacent. Yes, I do like candles. And you know what else I really like? Um, like homemade soaps. I really like the handmade soaps. Wow. Okay. So I think you're, you know, ding, ding, two for you, one, two for me. Um, the other one was the coffee piece that we kind of alluded to. There's coffee in the a.m. and then there's coffee in the afternoon. But there's also coffee on the weekends when you like listfully looking out your kitchen window at your backyard or whatever. Yeah, see, I have a kid, so that never fucking happens, ever. There is no quietly gazing at a damn thing ever. Ever. You also have two very rambunctious dogs, so I can't see you do... And you do the afternoon coffee sometimes. Yes, for sure. I do love an afternoon coffee. And I do stare out the, the back... Or the window into the backyard with my coffee... And just part of me is that's when I go from senora life to senor life because then it's like I need to mow the lawn and and I need to, you know, pick the peaches off the tree before the birds start getting to them. Yeah, for sure. I Yes. Okay, one more thing is growing things. Like what? Like plants and stuff. Now you have a collection of plants or your your garden in the backyard or whatever. I really, I tried for two solid years to grow a garden. I suck at growing a garden, so I gave up on that. I do collect succulents in my front yard. I love them to pieces. I'm also collecting ganas because apparently I can grow those very well. <laughs> those are sprouting quite nicely these days. Uh, so, yes to the, I mean, growing things, the succulents, I think is part of it, even if it's not like jalapenos or something you're going to use later it's still a growth fair and I do take it very seriously I I um I pay attention to them and get angry if you know there's bugs in there that shouldn't be or whatever so yes I can see this okay one more thing that I had at least noticed on uh on the tiktoks was early to bed like you are going to bed earlier and earlier now I know you've got a younger child than we do but do you think that that holds for you so that's an interesting one so she goes to usually by the time she goes to bed I need a little bit of time that's alone and I'm not a super early morning person so I'm not gonna wake up at five to have that time so usually even if it's later than I would like for it to be once she goes to bed I need another hour, maybe hour and a half, sometimes two, if I'm watching a show and I don't want to give it up. So not really, but I will say like, if we have a date night or whatever, we're like, all right, yeah, we're going out. We're going to turn it up. Let's do it. It's like 1030. We're like, yeah, okay, let's go home. I'm done. I'm over it. I'm tired. So definitely not like it used to be for sure. You're so I would say that you're kind of like on your way, not quite there. This yeah, I'm like middle-aged life, whatever that is. And I'm only like what two years older than you, <laughs> and I'm already like one foot in the senora senor life. I do on the weekends do my lawn. I have my coffee. I'm like ten o'clock, baby. Let's go to bed now. You know the alarm already said it's time for us to start <laughs> getting ready for the bed. Alarm said, wow. You know. You know what I do that I think puts me in a senora life category? The cobija. Because when it is time to, to like wind down, I need a blanket. It could have been 107 that day, but if the air conditioner's on, and my husband would be like, 
how are you cold? I'm like, I don't like the air blowing directly on me. <laughs> I need, I need my cobija to be on me so I can be cozied up. Do you have a specific cobija? Yes, and the kids always take my, the I will go and specifically buy one and I will walk around the house and show it to everyone so that they know that it is mine. Doesn't matter. It'll be on the floor with the dogs being dragged through glitter and slime and all kinds of other crap. And then I have to be washing like 10 of, it's a whole thing in our house. I have to share mine with dogs. I collect dogs when I'm on the couch and I have my, cause yes, I have a cobija now. So same. And then I have to fight with the dogs over it. I'm like, nah, you know what? I didn't get this for you. Yeah, it's, it, I, I do feel like that puts me into a senora category, seriously. The other one that I don't feel like I used to do, and now I'm doing more and more, is that things are too loud for me. <laughs> or I'm like, why is it so freaking loud? And I do, I feel like that old lady that's like, turn your music down! Because I think that was probably a thing that I liked it louder previously, and now I'm like, hmm, no, I don't, why, why is it so aggressive? I just want more calmness. Even some of the same, even some of the same songs you used to or music you used to listen to is now turned down a lot. I think so, especially if I'm in the car and I'm lost, which happens often. Then <laughs> <laughs> I have to turn down the music so that it can concentrate. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so how is this different than, like, oh, we're becoming our parents? So, like, I liken this to, there's some commercials for. I can't even remember what kind of house insurance or whatever, but they always say like, we're keeping you from becoming your parents. And there's that like older guy who's like, don't Velcro your remote control to the table. And <laughs> you're wrapping this piece of foil or you have this foiled up thing in your freezer for like six months. Don't do the, that thing. Um, so I, I see my mom doing things now that I recognize as different for her and I feel like I'm not doing those things like she talking about loud the music is turned down but she's talking much louder about people in front of them that we don't know like in airports and whatnot why is she wearing that mom like we all hear you and she probably hears you too so things like that, or, or like the minute we get somewhere, where's the bathroom here? Do you need to go? No, but I want to know where it is. Like, do you suddenly have like explosive diarrhea that we were unaware of upon arrival? It just things like that, that are, that I don't, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, I'm definitely not doing those things, but things I do see myself doing or actually hear myself saying more like is with is while I'm parenting, I will start saying things that are because I told you so because, you know, that kind of a thing is, uh, or my daughter saying, I'm bored. I mean, saying, well, then you must be a boring person because that's exactly what our mom used to tell us. And I'm like, damn it. I just said it. I just said it. No take backs. I just became my mom the other day. So my mom has in her kitchen, she has a picture of me printed and posted on <laughs> one of her kitchen cabinets. And you called it out one day when we were doing, I was doing a meeting at my mom's house because, you know, stuff and things. I needed to take her to an appointment. And you were like, really? Is that your, a picture of you behind you in this meeting? And the other day I realized I became my mom because I had, I had a banner of one of the twins hanging up behind me. And I'm like, awesome. I just, I'm like my mom now. I've got pictures of my kids hanging up behind me. So that on the odd occasion, if anybody ever asks, why is Haley up behind you? I can be like, this was the banner they had for her 4.0 throughout high school. Wow. She's no longer in high school. Yeah, that is senora life <laughs> all the way. Yep. You did it. So are there things different from Latina senora life from or Latine senora or senor life from like, let's say your hubs and his his mom or his parents? Um, I, so I unfortunately didn't get to know his dad, uh, very well. He passed away really shortly after we met. So I don't know a lot of the maybe mannerisms that would have carried over from there. And I don't, I don't know if he does anything like his mom, honestly, they're very, very different. So I'm not, I don't know. Um, I definitely see him doing, so I 
I will call him old man sometimes when he does things. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here's old man coming out. But I don't know if it's similar to his parents. What about you, honey? I do see some things. Some I'm not going to call out on air because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that I would get divorced <laughs> immediately. But I do see some things that are paralleled. And I, sometimes I'll even call her out. I'll be like, hey, Rita, what's up? <laughs> wow. Yeah, don't do that. That's ill-advised. And I'm surprised I, she hasn't left me yet. But I'm looking at some of the things like there's the general, oh, we do become our parents. We pick up their mannerisms. And then there are some things that are very specific to different communities right that like like specific to our family is like immediately when you when you walk in some like someone's hosting something and immediately you walk in and like where's the coffee and that's very very much like my family as we got older we were just like point me towards the coffee I don't know what it was I don't know if it was chewing the grounds or what but we had this need for knowing where the coffee pot is in in any gathering that happens um yeah in my family it's wine (laughs) who's got the wine who's serving the wine are you drinking red or are you still on the white like where are we at in the drinking sequence of wine Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so now that we've established that we're kind of like our parents in living the senora and senor life another way that we're like our parents but it has to do with our zip code And this is something we may have talked about before, kind of once you are born into a, or when you're born into a zip code, that is a greater predictor of where your economic social status outcome is long-term. And there's some new research out that just came out from Harvard. And we were reading about it, Charlene, and it it took it one step further. So the same folks who were talking about your income predictor from your zip code went one step further and said, well, what if there is something about who you hang out with, who your friends are, who your circle is, that can move you from one income status to another or is part of the predictor of where you're at? And that was some interesting information. I love this study and the way they break things down, partially because it addresses the complexities that can happen. Because I think even when we talked about, you know, zip code being a great, one of the greatest predictors, if not the greatest predictor of your future success economically, there's always the, but what about this particular person or this group of people who grew up in poverty, grew up in this particular zip code, and then they made it out. If they can do it, anybody can do it. This gets a little bit into the nuance of what needs to happen in order for you to break some of those cycles and exit that statistical predictor i am and yes so you you told me about this article let's go into detail a little bit about what the study looked at because i think that is so key to how they got their information so the person who did the study along with collaborators the main person is raj chetty um, again out of harvard and they were looking at social capital. And the specific way they were looking at social capital was through Facebook. So they looked at some Facebook um, individuals, who they were friends with, their socioeconomic statuses, and the organizations that they might be a part of. So the social capital piece is basically the value of our relationships with our family, our friends, and the broader community, right? And so they're looking at who our friends are on Facebook, and to see, first of all, um, where the the socioeconomic status is of you in relation to other friends. If these other friends, or yourself, if you might be in the the higher socioeconomic status, if you are, um, like what friends you have in common, so looking at that piece that they call, co- um, they call cohesiveness, like how tight-knit your social community is. And then the, the third piece was civic, civic engagement. So looking at what organizations collectively they might be a part of, like pages that they might belong to. They gave the example of bowling. And when I was looking at this, I was thinking about like for yourself, myself, other folks that we know in common and how we met was roller derby so that's civic engagement part of organizations 
a tight-knit circle that we would have and different people belonging to different socioeconomic statuses within that tight-knit circle, which I think is fascinating that they're looking at Facebook at all and how much information, I mean, creepy on the one hand is how much information you can glean off of people, but also interesting is like how much information you can glean off of people and what it says about you. Yeah, I love that they're able to use what is, I mean, social media and its use is a phenomenon, right? So I love that they're looking more deeply into what that could possibly mean or what information can we gather out of who are you surrounding yourself with whether it be an acquaintance that maybe you don't you've never even met in real life they just happen to be your Facebook friend or whatever or you know do these relationships go deeper are you part of an organization that might be rooted in a sport like bowling or like you said roller derby or some other thing that then links you a little bit more deeply than oh we're just Facebook friends so I this is so fascinating to me and the end result is that they were they were looking at this and they found that if you did have a friend or set of friends who were in a higher socioeconomic status than you and you had a, cl- a close-knit circle and were more um, you know, part of an organization or com- community in- or civic engagement, the more likely you are to move, regardless of your zip code and where you got started from, the more likely you are to move in socioeconomic status. And a second part of that question is, is it what's the influence right is it the influence from your friends onto you and what that means and i was looking at it also as vice versa what kind of influence might i have on somebody else in a higher socioeconomic status to maybe do some reciprocal learning like teach me how to manage my money better or help me you know be a reference on a job so that i can get out of job a and go into job b And then likewise, I'll show you what it is to be in my shoes so that you can be a better informed person, maybe help the community out in ways that you otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, so there are they came up with some specific understandings in in this study that go into a little bit of detail about what you were just talking about. So share that with us. What are, what are the findings that they said, okay, based on all these different nuances and this deeper level and these circles, this is what we think the influence or where that influence could be coming from. So yes, there is what they say. and, And I got this off of NPR, like that's where I get most of my, my news, right? So there was a tweet off of it and there was an article that was related to that tweet. So per the the article, um, quote, there is something magical about cross-class friendships that causes people to rise up the income ladder, even controlling for things like the quality of schools, racial segregation, the rate of poverty, and the extent of inequality. Um, And so that was one of the biggest takeaways is that there is this climb, quote unquote, climb up the ladder from having that inter-socioeconomic status friendship. Um, and one of the takeaways was um, having, the, having better uh, desegregation of schools. That was one of the things that they talked about the most was if there are schools in your community that are segregated because of low or whatnot income, um, one of the best ways to deal with that is to have better plans for desegregation. And the one of the other findings that, that you can do is like low-income housing really should be spread into different areas and not like ghettoized or segregated. That is so brilliant. And as we were both reading that, we're like, mm, what are the odds that that's going to happen? But and if you are if you're listening to this right now and saying like segregation of schools, schools are not segregated. Um, yes, they are. And listen to Nice White Parents, an amazing podcast that will give you an excellent insight into the current day segregation of schools, even though it's not often called that. It happens every single day. And, and if you're wondering about zip code being important, again, this has been shown to be the greatest predictor of 
where you'll be in the future. So you can talk about early childhood education. You can talk about job opportunities. You can talk about college prep and all of these things. And at the end of the day, these other influences are super critical to where somebody's going to end up. So when we're thinking about one of the things that made me think about certainly was um, when you are coming from a lower economic class and then you're having these quote-unquote mixed class friendships right and you start talking to folks who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars more than you have ever made maybe in your entire lifetime the conversation changes what you're talking about is it can open your brain to possibilities that you thought unimaginable and when you know these people it makes it feel like it's possible right like I know this guy and we have conversations I don't see them as completely separate from me I don't see them as completely different humans than me so if they can do it maybe there is a way for me to do it and I think even just that realization and that knowing that there's a different option is a huge motivator for someone Picking back on what you said, one of the examples that they gave at the start and then end, because I love the way that NPR does it, right? Like they start with an example and then they end with how the um, how this is played out in the example that they started with. So the the example that they gave was um, was a gym, and how some of the trainers they have worked with people from different um, economic statuses. Some they have even uh, had some trainers who were just you know, uh, out of being incarcerated, they trained him on being a trainer, and then they pair up these trainers with people who obviously can afford a, a, a personal trainer. So they get from 20 to $60 an hour doing personal training. And one of the outcomes that they have from that in showing ver- a very clear example was, um, and circling back to what you said, is that some of the folks um, started showing up in court to be supportive even when things didn't go completely right with with one of the trainers. They started offering job opportunities to some of the trainers at the gym and they even paid for like some of the trainers, their children to start going to camp with their kids. And so there was that like reciprocal um, learning, but not learning, like what's the best way to put it? It was just a reciprocity of understanding of communicating of being of a of a relationship i think it speaks a lot to the ways that we are so ingrained in having to categorize people as a thing or another thing so you may have attitudes and thoughts about people who live in a particular neighborhood that you think is dangerous or who have been incarcerated or whose brother went to rehab like whatever the thing may be you might have this thought about what that means about their character who they are as a human being well then you get put in a situation like this like bowling league or roller derby or they're your personal trainer and you suddenly start having one-on-one conversations and like oh my gosh me and this person love this same brand of ice cream or me and this person grew up going to the same supermarket on the weekends or the same church or whatever and you build this understanding like you're saying of this individual for who they are and what they are not what their circumstances might say to you and I would even say the same for the person that's coming from the lower socioeconomic status like oh this bougie ass person and I have absolutely zero in common and then you learn that you do so you're able to just see each other on this human level versus all of these labels that society is telling us we need to understand who people are that really don't get to the heart of who humans are this this is one of those pieces of like when i first when i first brought this to you i was like these are things that we know we just needed the numbers so that people could see that this is our reality that being from you know 79901 in El Paso does something different for you long run than being part of like 88011 in New Mexico like that's the biggest determining factor we've even seen this in in media a whole ass show Beverly Hills 90210 talking about 
where they started from, where they're ending, and that trajectory doesn't change because of the zip code that they're in. And these are things that you and I, like, we're like, duh, of course, we knew this. It's just sometimes people need this in a solidified, I did the research, I looked at the X, Y, and the Z, we factored in, we did the statistics, and this is what what the outcome was. Like, we need that set of numbers in order to justify or validate the things that we already knew especially especially you coming from a teacher background like these are things you were like um yes and I remember having conversations with other educators who was like what the hell difference does it make what house they grew up in like what as long as their parents love them and as long as they have it's not that simple again think about what a zip code means think about where you are in relation to stores that sell healthy food where is it in relation to job opportunities for your parents that are not just low or even minimum wage what opportunities do you have for schooling what opportunities do you have to go to a museum in the neighborhood that you're so all of these things add up to vocabulary and exposure to different languages and travel opportunities and 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 so it's there's it sounds so simplistic to just talk about a number like the zip code but there's so much property tax like all of it wrapped into that number that leads to these layers that now I feel like we're starting to studies like this are digging a little bit deeper into and using things that are a you know social phenomena like Facebook for all of its ills and goods um this seems like maybe a good thing that might be coming out of it as a way to gather some maybe not so precise information that gives us information about just where people are at in their larger circles so yes and the flip side to that that i when i was reading this article was um having very little to do with the actual research that they were doing or the zip coterie or anything (laughs) the other piece that brought to my mind was um when we are visiting with people from a different socioeconomic status and we are learning a different side of the other zip code that we're in how much of our roots do we lose and how much do we assimilate into this idea of an american dream this idea of capitalism of of Um, generational wealth, all of the things that make up Americana that oftentimes we are left out of or once we go in, we are at that intersection. Like that is a very clear intersection of like brown assimilation or brown pride and assimilation. Like are we assimilating into by having these friendships? I... This is such an excellent conversation, Kat. It reminds me of a couple of things. One, when I lived in Austin, I lived in what was at that time a, like the zip code was known for high teenage pregnancy rates, for high crime, for gang activity. It was very much black and brown folks living in this zip code and it's where we could afford to live at the time. I didn't know this external zip code factor until I was actually not even living there anymore I didn't know it was a thing but when I was living there oh my gosh the culture that was in this neighborhood was so rich and so beautiful and so even though I was in this completely foreign city completely away from my family I felt like I was at home I really did there were we lived in the middle of there were black families there was the cholo family across the street there was the mexican neighbors and like this is what we called people because you know we got to identify people by (laughs) by these nicknames and they had the life-size virgen water fountain house painted lime green stereotypically all of this is going on and i never felt unsafe in that neighborhood i never felt like out of place in that neighborhood and I do think there's something to say for taking someone out of what may not be rich in money but rich in culture and family and other experiences to quote unquote give them an opportunity at success that is measured monetarily what are you losing when you do that that's yeah 
that makes me go on a million different tangents in my head about where I am now versus where we started from, the trajectory that I was expected to have, and how many zip codes that I've lived in, right? In L.A., in New York, back in cruises, all of the things. Like, am I supposed to be where I'm supposed to be? And how much am I still assimil- assimilated or am I, like, trying to tack on and add yeah, even, I mean, even in that Austin experience, you know, at some point I graduated from college with my undergraduate degree, all of the folks who ha- we had sort of been living together in a very roommate style, everybody kind of getting through their schooling and their figuring out whatever they were going to do with the rest of their lives and all of that. And so success, again, was moving out of that zip code and into a suburb area, which was Kyle, Texas at the time, which has since blown up and looks crazy like its own little city. But I digress. We knew all of our neighbors in the zip code, you know, the quote unquote bad zip code, the known zip code, knew our neighbors, hung out with our neighbors all the time. Our neighbors were always watching out for our house. Like, hey, we had there were some people walking around your house the other day. I asked them what they were doing there. They didn't they didn't know your name. So we told them to get the fuck out, whatever. People were looking out for each other all the time. That's just how it was. And then going to this better neighborhood, the suburban neighborhood, we didn't even know our neighbors. We never talked to our neighbors. In fact, people avoided eye contact, like do not talk to me unless it was like, what fertilizer are you putting on your lawn there, buddy? Like very surface level bullshit conversations. And I would say I felt less safe in that neighborhood because it was like, no, nobody's watching out for me. I'm watching out for me. And now it's this individualistic, you know, white picket fence society versus everybody's watching out for you and your kids and whoever's on the block because that's what we do is take care of each other. So I have personally seen that happen and experienced that happening. And I, again, I just wonder what are we quantifying as success and what pieces are we losing when we don't look at the rest of the story? Too deep for just one episodio, but um, you are listening to the Pocha podcast at the intersection of Brown Pride and Assimilation. Not sure what zip code that ends up being, (laughs) but the intersection is there. Um, and from one kind of assimilation into another, Charlene Arquei de Nuevo is something that we had seen on TikTok, which was food appropriation. So we've known that this has happened, right? My biggest example and the one that I'm always mad at is why do they call a wrap a wrap? It's a fucking burrito. I don't care if you add lechuga to it. It's still a damn burrito. But now there's a whole level of you know, pissed offery um, at things like spa water, which was previously known as aguas frescas. I don't know, and I will admit, I don't know who started this, where it started from, if it was one creator or just like a hotel chain that did it. I don't know. But there's that piece. There's, um, oh, the cowboy caviar, which is like corn. It's basically pico de gallo on... <laughs> On, to, on a one big large tostada and there's a street corn salad which is basically elote en vaso oh so this is happening i'm loving the flip side of this which is like there's a woman who's talking about the salchicha taco which is just a hot dog which is like this american crema it's mayonnaise she's like, i don't know how to pronounce it hilarious I'm loving this the spin on it, the backward spin. And it reminds me, you and I were talking a little bit about, this reminds me, I started going down a rabbit hole a little while back um, when Anthony Bourdain passed away. So a renowned chef, traveled all over the world, and was very much adamant in talking about the value of Mexican culture and Mexican food that we Americanize and then treat like shit. How we do not look at the worth that not only workers in kitchens and housekeeping and that whole hospitality industry bring the money they bring to that whole billion dollar business but how we have taken pieces of you know like tripe and corn soup that is fucking menudo do not call it some other (laughs) shit and if you don't put chile in it i don't want any so he was one that not of color but very much noticed how in some circles 
this dish is valued at $50 and in other circles you're eating on a dirt floor and people wouldn't dare walk inside because it's unsanitary and it's the most delicious thing he's ever had in his life. So there's that, there's that aspect to it. There's, there's also, you know, just to be very clear, other cultures have also had their food appropriated, right? Like let's, you know, not just in America, in other countries as well, this is not a new phenomenon. We just happen to be the newest social media spin on it. And, and the spin is probably one of the things that, yes, while I was aggravated to see this new like trend, upscale trend of, of things that we see at the flea market, at the Mercado de Pulgas, you know, but seeing the spin of what and I will be the first one to admit it is not a Gen X spin. This was definitely like millennials and younger being like, oh, really? I got you. And doing that spin on Americana foods with a Mexican, um, like how you would describe it in Spanish, not even Mexican because there's, you know, whole Latino America, but how to describe it in Spanish, which had me rolling. The, <laughs> the mashed potatoes, the guacamole de papas, that... <laughs> That's the best one. <gasps> that had me rolling, admittedly. So I love the fact that there's a spin to this. Um, and for sure, appro food appropriation is not new to anybody, anywhere. Barbecue has been appropriated. Baked bean, everything has been appropriated um, into feeling very Americana. So this isn't new to anyone except maybe some of us who are clutching at our rosaries instead of our beads that this is happening. Um, but this also got me thinking of like when our food assimilates. So and by that what I mean is so we live in the heart of green Chile. Like southern New Mexico, Hatch is known for its Chile, the red and the green. And we also have a ton of tourists who come through who don't always have the stomach for hot things. And so some of our more touristy spots have assimilated their menu to be tourist friendly so that the enchiladas, you don't, you know, like, oh, this is as hot as mom's. There's nothing really like that. The beans are a little bit different. The Even the... the um, the margaritas are like cucumber and jalapeno margaritas. Don't get me wrong. I drink those and I like them. <laughs> but that, that's, the, that's the truth. There are just some places that have a spin on them because they're trying to appeal to more than just, you know, town folks. They're trying to appeal to, to the tourists who are coming to the area and don't have the stomach for the hot chile. So, like, people are not ordering something. Put some cucumber in it. They will order it. They'll think it's a spa water, do it, go yes. all day, and then charge $4 extra for it. It's a tequila spa water. <laughs> <laughs> it's an agave spa water that's been fermented. Yes. Also, there's a limit of two. So <laughs> it's, um, it's interesting when you talk about it in terms of trying to appeal, because then I do think about the plight of the business owner, right? So you have a, a Latino business owner who's trying to cook the way that they grew up eating and they're in a touristy area and then the shit's not selling. What do you do? How do you make it so that, again, so that people, like if they just try it, they're gonna like it. But how do you get people to try something that looks completely foreign? Or like you said, like se van enchilar, they're not gonna eat it because it's hotter than hell and you know, then you're trying to coach them into drinking milk and all the things to stop their mouth from burning. I don't know. It's a very interesting plight. Again, that intersection, where do you, at what point are you no longer sharing authentically and trying to reach an audience to get to the monetary benefit? At what point are you doing that in a way that's authentic to your survival? Because that might go beyond other pieces that are, important um, because that's what we've done historically and one of the reasons that this podcast exists is because survival has been such a critical element well assimilation has been such a critical element to survival for our ancestors that it's why we've lost so much of what we've lost and what are we watching 
slip away right now in our current time and day what are we watching go away and maybe it is the agua fresca because soon there's gonna be the agua fresca dieta like there's not as much azúcar because you know we gotta watch for all the things like it's gonna start turning into a whole ass thing so how do we preserve that authentic peace just for ourselves like at what point do we not need to monetize shit at what point is it okay to just have that thing that no one else likes but we grew up eating it or doing it or saying it or whatever it is and que valen like if they don't like it we already gave it up with lard like when there was that whole like in the what 80s when we were all worried about heart attacks and all the things and i say this because this did happen within our family hardly anybody cooks with lard anymore it's it's with Wesson or canola or whatever it is that you have. Like right now, I think everybody's on an olive, a extra virgin olive oil kick. But nobody cooks with lard. And that's a very authentic piece. Authentic in that like there wasn't vegetable oil or canola oil or this oil or that. There was just you killed a pig, save the lard, <laughs> use it for cooking. And that's something that has been lost. And not to say that we haven't had the health benefits from it certainly maybe that was a health assimilation that we did collectively but it is very very difficult to find any restaurants that are cooking with lard in a in an authentic like that's how my grandmother used to make it your grandma your your grandma's grandma used to make it kind of way so we have lost some of that and in fact just looking at the mexican food that we have in specific to the desert southwest because i know in baja in you know, there's more fish less less puerco or, or cow but in our case it's very spanish influenced like our spanish rice that and which doesn't even come from spain so that was not necessarily indigenous to the area we've lost a lot of the like maize recipes that were indigenous the things that we're doing to the tamal that are different than we ever had before, like all of that is changing. And like you said, like where does that stop and where do we get to keep a piece of it for, for the things that we grew up with, for connectivity to our ancestors? And you're right. I think when we also have to look at not only what we have learned as far as health benefits because we do want to live longer we want we don't want to be the die early generation you know forever we want to get to we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna still keep coming and we're gonna be the majority minority aren't you paying attention everybody <laughs> it's coming because we're living longer because we got rid of the lard got the manteca out but i think also what's available now what what's easily available to us isn't always that organic maize that you ground in the backyard because people are working people are busy you're not growing your own stuff in the backyard you're not I mean even just in the last 10 to 15 years in my own family a lot of the hierbas and vegetables and things that we would eat at my grandparents house my grandfather grew in the backyard he's not there anymore and my mom is certainly not going to be out there tending to a damn garden not going to happen and i suck at it as we discussed earlier <laughs> so unless you can eat a fucking aloe vera then uh that part might be gone from our family for now you know what hasn't changed is <laughs> what hasn't changed is the hangover i get from mezcal like period <laughs> <laughs> that has not changed that is still authentic and it's still with me um in the garden area I have tried, and I'm not very good at keeping things alive. The reason that we have peaches and pomegranates and grapes is because they came with the property, <laughs> to be honest. And the only thing that I want to add, and it's because I'm, I'm fucking quirky as a mofo, is I want to add... I want to add a fig tree because it feels like a biblical garden if I have the <laughs> pomegranate, the grapes, and the fig. Wow. And that also is for another episode of the Bocha Podcast. <laughs> cat's obsession with the bible that's ongoing and also authentic <laughs> so uh all of this to say i am living my senora senor life with hopefully a to be biblical garden where i look lovingly outside of my kitchen window uh with my coffee in the afternoon having ha after having like mowed the lawn in the morning and then i make assimilated food for my family in the evening because that's where i'm at 
and then you feed the family some grilled cheese that you threw some lard on <laughs> and call it a day. <laughs> in the same zip code that I was living in two years ago. But even in the same zip code, Charlene, the neighborhood changed. Like, you're right. When you were talking about um, knowing your neighbors, I don't know my neighbors like I used to in a different part of the same zip code, which was a little bit more sketch. And I loved that neighborhood. I loved that I knew like, oh yeah, he wears a pacemaker and if we see the, the ambulance over there and his wife can't be there, we'll definitely check in with the ambulance for them on their behalf. So yeah, to change of like five blocks and I don't know my neighbors. Well, and you know, to that end, well, why don't you go introduce yourself? Well, because they don't seem like the kind of neighbors I want to know, to be honest. That's the other part. Like, cool, you, you, uh-huh, hi, don't, no, mm-mm. Even my husband runs from them. He's like, no, I don't want to, no, I don't want to have a 20-hour conversation about your apricot tree. Thank you so much. Good night. I suppose that's why we're not neighbors, because then I would engage him in a 20-hour conversation about my peaches. That sounded bad. Wow. That's a lot. And with that, you've been listening to the Pocha Podcast at the intersection of Brown Pride and Assimilation. This has been Episodio 41. We've been on the road with it for August. I'm Kat. I'm Charlene. Charlene, what other zip codes and areas can folks find us on? You got hoes in different area codes. You can definitely find us right here in New Mexico, uh, you know, if you're in the area. And maybe that'll become a thing sooner rather than later. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and you can send us an email at pochapodcast at gmail.com. Right now, you can still get your familia discount. Uh, type in pochapod15 when you check out at nopalera.com and get all your soap and exfoliant goodies for the next month or so. And um, do we do the Twitter anymore, Kat? It, it comes out automatically when there's a new episode. So yes. Um, and I was going to tell you that you were looking for, like, hey, can you take a picture of the nopalera, which I do have. And I was like, oh, maybe I could take one while I'm shut. Nope, don't take it while you're bañando. Just take a picture <laughs> of it. People will know that you use it, and it'll be fine. So that's where I'm at, at that intersection. Yes, you, uh, we do not yet have a fans-only account that may be coming in 2023. <laughs> Stay tuned. And with that, we will see you on the flip. Bye.